Hello and welcome to the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. It's Monster Kid Radio, and I'm your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook, and I'm welcoming you to the show this week with some new music. We're changing things up. I know we've been playing the same song over and over and over again for the past couple of weeks, but this time around, I wanted to play something new. This is the song Damascus Steel. It is from the surf band The Scimitars. The Scimitars have a new release right now, a new I guess, single? Are they still called singles? I think they're still called singles. Uh, from High Tide Recordings. You can get this song, along with their other song, Barry Simone, over at hightiderecordings.bandcamp.com or go to High Tide Recordings and look up The Scimitars or look up The Scimitars on Facebook. Either way, I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net so you can follow them and see what they're up to and pick up this album. I dig it, man. It's got a cool Middle Eastern flair that... You know, I think works really well with the surf stylings of this. It's just super cool, and, and I enjoy it. Big thanks to High Tide Recordings for sending it our way to play on this episode of the podcast. Let's talk about the podcast. What's happening this week? Well, it's June, and I wanted to do something different for the month of June, something that we haven't done a lot of. And part of it's because I, I kind of did it for so long. I haven't really gotten down and dirty with zombie movies. Now, a lot of you know that I used to produce a podcast called Mail Order Zombie. And to kind of get into June of the Dead, June Dead, Undead, June Dead, June Undead, Jun Dead, to get into this month of zombie movies, I spent some time kind of reflecting on not just everything with Mail Order Zombie, but where my love and fascination with zombie movies really kind of came from. And it is part of my development uh, as a monster kid, as a horror fan, as a, a monster movie fan, all of that. Zombie movies seem to have been there from pretty early on. They weren't my first love, but for a long time they were my only love. And I'm going to spend some time kind of going over that tale with you this week on the show. Now, of course, we've got Mark Matsky's Beta Capsule Review and Kenny's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. I haven't listened to Kenny's segment yet, but it looks like it's about zombies, so we're getting some more zombie action, and really, I want to spend most of June talking about classic zombie movies. But I really thought it was important to look at my own background and past and history with zombie movies before we get into the nitty-gritty and the guts, so to speak, of zombie cinema. So we're going to get into all of that. Uh, you know, let's just do it now. Dracula, Monsters from Under the Sea, Atomic Frankensteins, and Grandpa Monster 2. Classic monster memorabilia vendors, movie and TV stars, signing autographed photos. It's all coming to the Marriott Pittsburgh North, June 16th through the 18th, 2023. It's Monster Bash! Fans who grew up with monster movies in the theater and on TV will descend on the Marriott Pittsburgh North. Hundreds and hundreds of fans. Don't you scare miss out as fans travel from all over the country to meet, shop, and enjoy classic monster entertainment. Coming to Monster Bash in June, Audrey Dalton, star of The Monster That Challenged the World, and Boris Karloff's thriller TV shows. Charlotte Austin, who starred in Frankenstein 1970 with Karloff, and Ed Wood's The Bride and the Beast. 
Lynn Lugosi Sparks, the granddaughter of Dracula himself, Bela Lugosi. Daniel Roebuck, star of countless films, TV's Matlock, and Grandpa Munster in the latest Munsters movie. Plus, he's a super fan and collector of classic monster memorabilia. Beverly Washburn, actress in Spider Baby with Lon Chaney Jr., Thriller, and Disney's Old Yeller. Tom Savini, actor, makeup man, special effects genius, with credits that include Creep Show, Tales from the Dark Side, The Black Phone, and so much more. Pamela Pierce, actress and daughter of the director that brought us the legend of Boggy Creek. John Russo, co-writer and zombie from the original Night of the Living Dead, the origin of the modern zombie. And Ohio TV horror host legend, the one and only Son of Ghoul, still creeping to TV sets after all these years. Plus Cleveland horror hosts Drac and Countess Corita. Monster Bash is wall-to-wall -wall vendors and a giant horror hotel packed with classic monster movie fans. Don't miss out. Three-day VIP admission is $55 in advance or $60 at the door for all three packed days. Single-day admission at the door is $25. It's all at the Pittsburgh Marriott North, Friday through Sunday, June 16th through the 18th, 2023. Get your advanced membership admission online at creepyclassics.com. That's creepyclassics.com. More information is available at monsterbash.us or call 724-238-4317. It's Monster Bash. White Zombie, a new novelization of the classic horror movie from award-winning author Stephen D. Sullivan. Available now in print and all ebook formats. Find it on Amazon, Smashwords, Drive-Thru Fiction, and other quality outlets. Also available in a special edition, including the complete movie script. Grab White Zombie before it grabs you. Details at sdsullivan.com. Live from the Land of Light in Nebula M78, home of the mighty Ultra Heroes, it's Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review. Return of Ultraman, Episode 16, The Mystery of Big Bird Monster Tarotulus. Original air date, July 16, 1971. A party on board a yacht is rudely interrupted by a bomb detonated by a scuba diver. Three people are killed, and the culprit is apprehended by police and confesses to the crime. It seems like the case is closed, until Aki phones Go, asking him to meet with her friend Yukiko, who was one of the survivors of the bombing. The young lady reports seeing a monster in the sky before the blast, but there's a twist. The bomber, Saburo Matsumoto, was a childhood friend of Yukiko's, jealous over her recent engagement to another man. Go arranges a meeting with the bomber, who's both enraged to learn that Yukiko and her fiancé are still alive, and claims that he too saw the flying monster moments before the explosion. Go wants to investigate, and Yukiko must decide if she wants to pursue the truth or let the bomber face a death sentence. 
When she finally decides to join Go, she's blinded by toxic fumes streaming from his boat's outboard motor. Meanwhile, a passenger plane collides with the flying monster, prompting monster attack team to become officially involved. Their analysis is sidelined by the news of Saburo's prison break. But when Go rushes to reassure Yukiko, he's accused of taking an inappropriate interest in her. And Captain Kato urges him to concentrate on the kaiju. The big bird Tarotulus happily obliges, creating a toxic nest that when combined with engine exhaust creates a deadly gas which begins to injure citizens of Tokyo. Go warns the Sakatas of the danger, but Aki's cold response angers him so much he strikes her. Go then traces the monster to a volcanic island and summons air support from MAT before being blown off a cliff by the monster's downdraft. Will Ultraman emerge before it's too late? The mystery of big bird monster Tarotulus is a change of pace, adopting a film noir tone for this plot-heavy episode. It would be interesting to find out what young viewers thought of it, between a twisty, talky script, a monster more giant claw than Rodan, and Go's burgeoning habit of hitting people to get their attention. It's dramatic and somewhat dark, proving once again Ultraman's almost boundless capacity for variations on a theme. For Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review, this is Mark Matsky reporting. Ladies and gentlemen, you are about to witness some scenes from the next attraction to play this theater. This picture, truly one of the most unusual ever filmed, contains scenes which under no circumstances should be viewed by anyone with a heart condition or anyone who is easily upset. We urgently recommend that if you are such a person or the parent of a young or impressionable child now in attendance, that you and the child leave the auditorium for the next 90 seconds. Night of total terror. <laughs> Night of the living dead, the dead who live on living flesh. The dead whose haunted souls hunt the living. The living whose bodies are the only food for these ungodly creatures. adventure in fear, an experience in shock more shattering than your strangest nightmare, night of the living dead, a night with the dead who cannot die.
A night of total terror. Night. Of the living dead. Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. Today we are talking about zombies. So let's look at how Famous Monsters of Filmland covered the grandfather of the modern zombie movie, Night of the Living Dead. It happened in FM 109 from August of 1974. Here is how the article was teased in the contents page. Night of the Living Dead. Ghouls from the graves. Zombies marching on mankind. David Skidworthy describes the eerie action of this macabre movie that has been hailed as a classic of modern times. Now, here is Foray's introduction to the eight-page, eight-photo article. Sick or classic? Editorial comment. Originally announced as Night of the Anubis, or Night of the Flesh Eaters, in the six years since its release, Night of the Living Dead has become a picture whose fame or infamy will not die. Some cry classic, and others decry it as a rich man's blood feast. No characters, no plot, just gore as graphic as in the horror comets of the 50s, though the makers may not care to admit their origins, says Donald C. Willis in his filmography, Horror and Science Fiction Films, adding, the best case yet for the suggestion theory of horror. Leave it to the viewer's imagination to supply the ghastly details rather than dumping entrails in your lap in 3D. In Willis's view, the critical acclaim accorded Night of the Living Dead is only evidence that today a total lack of taste has come to be considered an artistic merit. Whatever the film's merits or demerits, it has certainly been a commercial success in the Los Angeles area where I know of no film in the horror genre in recent years that has enjoyed more revivals. Five years after its release, its long-lasting popularity has warranted a pocketbook version, and, as I write, it has at last reached television. For the many of you who have incessantly and insistently requested coverage of the film, here it is. For those of you who may not have seen the picture, I can only say there are scenes in it more gruesomely graphic than the words convey. The synopsis is complete and moves as fast as the movie itself, using snippets of the actual dialogue. Let's hear how Skidworthy described one of the key scenes in the film. Names pass across the tube. To reach the nearest station, the people must drive. The Cooper's car could be raised, and Johnny's could be used if there was another way to start it besides an ignition key. This leaves the gas-thirsty truck. Ben had difficulty handling it, so Tom must drive. Judy comes along. Standing in the back of the truck, Ben waves a table-legged torch at the ghouls while Harry, from an upstairs window, rains flaming Molotov cocktails on them. A couple are destroyed, but that's not nearly enough. Ben shoots the padlock, guarding the pump, and as the truck's tank is being filled, some of the gas starts to burn. Tom and Judy try to outrun the fire, but are forced to ditch the truck. Too late! The truck explodes and they are incinerated. The ghouls scatter while Harry's face, eliminated by the flames, is frozen in horror. Ben races back to the house. The door won't open. Cooper! Cooper! Open up! 
Ben forces his way in with a glare at Harry, who wouldn't admit him. I drag you out there feet to those things. Once the fire dies down, the nocturnal scavengers regroup. From the smoking wreck of the truck, they extract pieces of Tom and Judy. Their banquet fits the true definition of horror. That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We will have more next time. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios. controlled before it's too late. They are multiplying too rapidly. Dawn of the dead. Meet me on the roof at nine o'clock. Get yeah. out. I don't believe We're it. We're going to get out in the chopper. We've got to survive. Somebody's got to survive. They kill for one reason. They kill for food. They eat their victims. Imagine, if you will, that something has gone terribly wrong. Shoot it, man. No. Except the fact that there's no escaping the horrible consequences. George Romero brings back the dead. Night of the Living Dead has ended. Dawn of the Dead is here. We must not be lulled by the concept that these are our family members or our friends. They are not. They will not respond to such emotions. Operator dead. Post abandoned. We may never get out of the room. It's everywhere. What the hell is it? Looks like a shopping center. One of those big indoor malls. What are they doing? Why do they come here? Some kind of instinct, memory, what they used to do. This was an important place in their lives. What is it? We've got a war. We have spawned our own savagery. Soon, it will consume us all. It is a horrible, hauntingly accurate vision of the mindless excesses of a society gone mad. They must be destroyed on sight! When there is no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. We are down to the line, folks. We are down to the line. Dawn of the Dead. Let's talk zombies, specifically the male order kind. I've been thinking about my history as a podcaster and more specifically about my history and journey as a fan of horror films. I recently posted on Facebook that I was kind of shocked that Monster Kid Radio has been going for over 10 years now. Unless I sit down and actively think about it, it doesn't feel like 10 years. Offhand, I know I've been doing this podcast for a while, but for over a decade, more or less interrupted, 
insert special thanks to all the people who help keep MKR going when I'm moving or getting married or otherwise occupied with non-podcasting stuff here. Now, when I talk about this or post about it on Facebook, I don't do this because I'm looking for attaboys or congratulatory messages. I appreciate them, sure, but really, I should be the one thanking all of you for feeding into my need and desire to keep going with the show. There were some comments made about my earlier podcast when I recently posted about Monster Kid Radio, and I've been thinking about zombie movies lately anyway for a number of different reasons, so I thought this Monster kid editorial might be a good place to reflect on my love of horror movies, zombie movies, and how I got from being Brother D of Mail Order Zombie to Derek from Monster Kid Radio. And I realize I've gone over some of this in bits and pieces over the I still can't believe it's been over 10 years of MKR, but I've been in a reflective mood and feel like spending some time putting all these thoughts down in one place and maybe even reveal a little bit more than I ever had regarding some of the behind-the-scenes growing pains and near drama of my podcasting history and my love of zombie movies. But first of all, let's talk about a couple of names, starting with my own. I use my real name now with my podcasting and everything else, whether it's my books, YouTube, what have you. It wasn't always like that, though. Even before I broke into podcasting and cut my teeth on Mail Order Zombie, I was using the name Brother D in the podcasting space, interacting with shows like Night of the Living Podcast and Dead Pit. Why? I'm not entirely sure. I mean, some of it had to do with my own last name being hard to pronounce. It's only four letters long, but K-O-C-H doesn't immediately read as Cook for most people. And I've seen so many variations of how to spell my first name as well. For the record, it's D-E-R-E-K. So I went with a nickname. Where did Brother D come from? Well, you've heard me say more than once on this podcast that, quote, I used to think I'd be a filmmaker when I grew up, unquote. I say this a lot because I really thought that was where I would end up. I first picked up a video camera with the intent of making a movie with my friends back in junior high school. But going even further back than that, I was writing scripts for movies featuring my G.I. Joe toys back in grade school. I had dreamed of doing stop-motion movies with my G.I. Joe action figures back then, and had checked out the one book I could find on filmmaking from the local library almost as often as I checked out the one book I could find about Harry Houdini or any of the Crestwood House monster books. And I'll get back to those Crestwood House books here in a little bit. I never made any of those stop-motion movies with my toys, but I did make a handful of movies with my friends through high school, and when I graduated, I went to the local community college for three years because I just wanted access to the equipment in the video production course that you technically could only take three times for college credit, but I took six times because it meant I had access to the edit bay. Now, I eventually left that community college and that handed down from the local television station edit bay when I went to film school in Bozeman, Montana. I did that for two years, met a couple of my now closest friends, and dropped out. Now, I still have regrets about that, but that's not what this story is about. Anyway, the dream to make movies did not die with my college career washout, and I found online communities filled with others who were also making their own movies and following their own filmmaking dreams. One of these communities lived at rewindvideo.com, and I got involved. I contributed to their forums and even became a writer for them at one point. I would write about my experiences making movies with my friends, both pre- and during film school, cover news about amateur movie productions happening around the world, that sort of thing. It was fun, and I got to be friends with other like-minded creatives, including some you may have even heard of today. The guys over at Red Letter Media, Mike, Jay, and Rich, were all fairly involved in that community back then. That was long before the days of Mr. Plinkett, of course. There were other filmmakers, too, like 
Jason Santo, who was an incredible storyteller in his own right, and he started referring to me as a Brother D, as some of my columns for the site did have a preach-it-brother kind of vibe. I liked the name, so I took it and ran with it. Rewindvideo.com went dark years ago, and I haven't been in touch with Jason or the Red Letter Media guys in years, but the persona of Brother D persisted. Now, Brother D bled into other parts of my life, too, including my wanting to be a rapper. Now, that's a whole different story, and Brother D wasn't even the first name I used during my all-too-brief-and-not-really-rap career. But the name stuck, and that's what I used when I started calling and leaving feedback for shows like Night of the Living Podcast, Destroy the Brain, and Cinema Diabolica. And it's what I used when I decided to launch my own show. Now, as for that show, keep in mind that I launched Mail Order Zombie back in 2008. My time with the RewindVideo.com community showed me there were a lot of really interesting low- and no-budget so-called amateur movies being made, and to watch and support each other's work, we had to mail VHS tapes to each other. In 2008, the primary way to get your hands on indie and low-budget movies was not to stream them, but to buy them or rent them through the mail. Hence, mail, order, zombie. So that's the mail order part. But why zombies? At the time, there were a lot of horror movie podcasts out there, and I wasn't confident enough in my own voice and myself to feel like I would stand out on my own talking about the same kinds of things the other podcasters were talking about. So I wanted a niche, a focus a gimmick, and I loved zombie movies because I loved the work of Tom Savini. Now, when I was growing up, I wasn't allowed to watch R-rated movies. My parents, in particular my mother, was of a particular religious bent and didn't want me watching anything harder than PG, PG-13 if I was lucky, and I suspect my father just didn't want to take responsibility for any nightmares or questions I had after watching those films. And now that I think about it, he even got mad about my trying to record a making of special about the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue off of HBO or Showtime. That's a different story too, I'm sure, but back to the horror movies. I would sneak them in when I could. They were forbidden fruit, man. I craved them. I'd be flipping through channels on a weekend afternoon and stumble across Showtime showing Poltergeist, and it'd be the scene in which one of the characters is peeling his face off in the bathroom. I'm guessing it probably aired during the day because I had a PG rating. Or if my parents went out for the nights, oh man, HBO was showing something like Friday the 13th Part 5, you know what I'd be watching. And then let it mess me up for many nights afterwards. I'd sneak peeks whenever I could, even if that meant just reading the backs of the VHS or beta tapes at the video store whenever the family went out to rent movies for the night. And then I'd quickly pretend to be looking at something else whenever my parents gathered us up to go home. Because I'd read the back covers of all those movies, I knew the names of characters like Jason Voorhees and Freddy Krueger. I knew who Michael Myers and Leatherface were. I hadn't watched the movies at all, but I'd even written some fanfiction featuring those four when I was in high school. Thank Godzilla those pages don't exist anywhere anymore. Now, as soon as I turned 17, I got my driver's license, which meant I could set up accounts at the various video stores in town, which meant I was able to rent those R-rated movies, and I dove right into the deep end, renting everything I could. Friday the 13th marathons, Hellraiser double features, there were only two at the time. Anything and everything I could get my hands on, I did. Low budget, big budget, something I'd never heard of before, something I'd only read about in the pages of Fangoria or Gorezone magazine. I watched it all. And eventually I stumbled across something called Scream Greats Volume 1, Tom Savini, Master of Horror Effects. It was a documentary about, well, Tom Savini, and it really opened my eyes to a lot of how special makeup worked. I wanted to play in that world so bad, I taught myself as best as I could using the limited supplies I could get my hands on while living in cowboy country in Wyoming. 
spirit gum and liquid latex was not easy to come by. And I did get my hands on a stash of crepe hair once in one of the drugstores downtown. I was limited mostly to whatever I could stock up on during the Halloween season. Foam latex was never an option, and alginate was near impossible to get. This was early 90s Wyoming, so online shopping wasn't really a thing for me. But that Screen Greats documentary captured my imagination nonetheless, and it led me down a rabbit hole inhabited by the films of a man who Tom Savini had worked with several times, George A. Romero. Now, this, of course, led to Night of the Living Dead, which I should have discovered earlier because it's in black and white, and more on that later, and specifically the two of the Dead films featuring the work of Savini, the only other two films at the time, Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead. Now, those movies opened so many doors and windows in my mind that my gray matter may as well have been made of Swiss cheese, with zombies hiding in every one of those cheesy holes, which I realize is a very weird metaphor and a bizarre visual. I did everything I could to learn about special makeup effects and special effects in general. Again, this was Cheyenne, Wyoming in the early to mid-90s, so my access to information was limited. But on a chance trip to Denver, Colorado one December, I ended up at a store called The Wizard's Chest, which was mostly a toy store, but they also did costume rentals and sold some makeup supplies in the back. And sitting on a shelf behind the makeup counter was Tom Savini's book, Grand Illusions. You know that book went home with me to Cheyenne when it was time to go home. I still have that book. It's tattered, stained with fake blood, some of the pages loose or falling out. I got a lot of use and a lot of love out of that book. And even though I haven't tried doing anything serious with makeup effects in years... I don't think I'll ever give it up, even though I'm going through so much of my stuff to put up on eBay these days. Even though I was watching all the horror movies I could, I kept going back to the zombie movies over and over again. Even when horror movies stopped being the forbidden fruit and my parents realized they couldn't stop me from renting a horror flick, I had a craving for them. They drove me and fed into my wannabe-a-filmmaker-when-I-grow-up dreams. That community college where I took all those video production courses... It's also where I was finally able to get online and learn even more about special makeup effects. I even started the very first Tom Savini fan website called Savini Land. It was hosted on GeoCities, remember that? And I even found Tom Savini's home address, because I'm a weirdo, and wrote him a letter asking his permission to make Savini Land my website, the official Tom Savini website. Never heard back, and I tried not to hold a grudge when just a few months later... Two other Tom Savini fans reached out to me wanting to swap links to their site, which was now the newly minted official Tom Savini website. Oh well. I was working at a blockbuster video and got to take movies home for free, and I suspect I made my way through the horror section at least three times over. Excuse me. They called it the horror slash sci-fi section, and I'm sure I watched most of the sci-fi flicks too. And what blockbuster video didn't carry right across the street, opened up a different video store called Thousands of Videos. And I would go through there, and I had to pay because I didn't work there, but I'd pick through their horror collection as well. I did stumble across other zombie movies during this self-education of all things horror available in Wyoming, and things like the Tear Return of the Living Dead films definitely pinged my radar. So much so that I included Return of the Living Dead-style zombies in that terrible Jason, Freddy, Michael, Leatherface fan fiction. Again, I'm so glad that doesn't exist anywhere anymore. It was bad. I mean, sure, having Leatherface fight emerging zombies from a graveyard hand-to-hand -hand with a chainsaw might have seemed like a cool idea at the time. Maybe? Uh, okay, really, I doubt it. There were other zombie movies, too, like Lucia Fulci's Zombie, or Zombie 2, or Zombie Flesh Eaters, or whatever title it had at the time. I'd later learn about that movie's ancestry and how it fit in with everything I'd been watching up until that point, 
I didn't get to see any of the other Italian zombie movies until years later, specifically after I launched Mail Order Zombie. Either way, I'm fairly sure I did not get the full cheap flick off the shelf at my blockbuster. That one had to have been picked up elsewhere. There were other video stores in Cheyenne, Wyoming, a good handful of them. Video USA was one of the most popular before the blockbuster moved in, but there were others as well. I don't remember many of their names, but I do remember specifically picking up the Beastmaster sequels at a store that both rented VHS tapes and repaired vacuum cleaners. Okay, I'm fairly confident that I rented every horror movie on all the rental shop shelves during my days living in Cheyenne. And I realize at this point, I've bounced around the timeline a little bit here, so please allow me to reestablish the timeline, put it in order, so to speak. In the late 1980s, my family would go out to various video stores, usually Video USA, right next to the Kmart, to pick up movies for the family. I'd usually get to pick one, my brother would pick one, and my parents would get whatever. I'd sneak looks at the horror movie tapes, but almost always ended up picking up things like Superman 2. Also, around this time, I started thinking about being a filmmaker, wrote scripts, and learned what I could from the few filmmaking books available to me at the base library. Yeah, my dad was in the Air Force and we lived on the Air Force base. I turned 16 in 1989, and by all rights, should have gotten my driver's license then, but I didn't have a car, or a need, as I was taking the bus to school, didn't have a part-time job yet, and when I did need to go somewhere, my parents just took me. It was also around this time I met someone who would become one of my best friends while I lived in Cheyenne, and he also had dreams of becoming a filmmaker. We started making movies with our camcorders and our friends in our backyards and anywhere else we could get to. I turned 17 in 1990 got my driver's license, and started renting horror movies on my own. I also started buying magazines like Cinefantastique and, more relevant to all of this, Fangoria and Gorezone. I continued making movies with my friends, taught myself what I could about special makeup effects, took the one video class I could while in high school, did a little acting with my high school drama department, and kept running around town with my friends and my camera. After graduating high school in 1992, I enrolled in the local community college, took the television production course my first semester there, and contributed to the bi-weekly community college news program. I really only did that because it was a prerequisite to the video production course, and I stayed at that community college, failing to earn any sort of associate's degree, but taking that video production course six times. Because the class syllabus never changed, between semesters, I would shoot whatever I could to feed into the class's upcoming video assignments. The first video due was always to make a music video, Two weeks later was a compare and contrast video, and then every two weeks after that, there was another video due. Video types included things like a historical video, so basically a mini-documentary, or a persuasive video, so a commercial or even a fake movie trailer, which is something I did a lot of. It was the last two videos of the class, though, that I looked forward to the most. The penultimate video was to be what the teacher called a nonverbal emotional video, so basically a video without dialogue, a silent film, but... Music and sound effects were allowed. The final for the class, though, was to make a mini-movie, and I look forward to that the most every time. I keep hoping that I'm going to stumble across my old videos from those classes. I found some, but the big mini-movie projects have eluded me. They might even be in a storage unit in Beaverton, Oregon right now. Now, the few videos that I have been able to find, I've looked over, and they're not the greatest. I'm sure they were as good as I could make them at the time, and it is interesting to look at them and watch my interests and abilities change over the years. My first mini-movie was a science fiction Star Trek knockoff called Blaze of Glory. It was very low budget. But I turned toward horror quickly 
with slasher movies, monster stuff, and that sort of thing. Now, in 1993 or 1994, I started working at Blockbuster Video, and I discovered that Tom Savini documentary, a handful of other movies and documentaries that really influenced me, and I spent many, many nights and days at home watching horror flicks. Side note, when I worked at Blockbuster Video, we hosted some sort of event for some group, and one of the local radio stations sent a DJ over to cover it on the air. I don't remember his name, but we bonded over our love of horror movies, and he was the guy that introduced me to Hammer Films. He was so excited to show me these films that during a break in his broadcast, he actually left the store, ran home, grabbed a couple of tapes, and then brought them back to me for me to borrow. I remember him specifically putting a couple of VHS tapes in my hands that housed all of the Hammer, Dracula, and Frankenstein films, recorded in EP mode. <laughs> they were all on there. I mainlined those and fell in love with them. During all of this time, I'm watching horror movies, becoming a follower of the films of directors like Sam Raimi and specifically George Romero. Zombies, man. I just I couldn't shake them. They were so important to me that my final mini-movie project at that community college, before I left for film school in 1995, included zombies. It was an amateur movie adaptation of the role-playing game Chill, in which the good guys are part of a secret organization and working against the monstrous forces of evil. My movie involved vampires working with zombies to fight the heroes, no doubt somehow influenced by the final Hammer Dracula film, The Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires. That was the first time I shot anything with zombies in it. Unfortunately, my production of Chill is one of the movies that I haven't been able to find. I fear it's been long lost, which is too bad because that's the one movie I set myself on fire in, and I'd love to have that footage. Now, in 1995, I left for film school. Most of my friendships didn't really survive the move, unfortunately. And since those friendships also fed into the people I worked with making movies and the like, I was starting over when I went to Montana State University. Filmmaking is a collaborative art form. Unless you're doing some sort of animation project on your own, you need people to work with, and I didn't have that at first. Eventually, I'd meet some like-minded folks, people who either enjoyed horror movies like me, or at least tolerated my love of them, people who liked sci-fi and fantasy and comic books and role-playing games, most of them not in film school with me. I actually dropped out of Montana State University in 1997, and having nearly nothing to show for my time there is another one of those regrets I carry with me to this day. The one thing that I do value, though, no, strike that, I cherish, that I walked away from film school with a friendship with a guy named Matt. The dude got me, and I'd like to think that I got him. In fact, as of this recording, I'm planning to meet up with him tomorrow morning for breakfast or lunch or brunch or something, and we actually have a production coming up that we're going to talk about. Even though he left film school early, around the same time I did, his filmmaking dream didn't die either. We'd eventually form a filmmaking group, I hesitate to call it a company, but that's what we thought it was at the time, called Dead End Pictures, and we had big plans with another guy named Mike. Now, Mike was not a film student. He wasn't a college student of any kind, but he was a fellow comic book fan, and that's how he and I connected. He was part of Dead End Pictures as well. So, film school from 1995 to 97, dropped out, started working at a local video store in Bozeman called Video Library. I did start at that Bozeman location, but eventually became the assistant manager of the Livingston, Montana store. Livingston is where Mike lived. It was about 30 minutes away from Bozeman, depending on how fast you were willing to drive, keeping in mind that this was during the no speed limit, reasonable and prudent days of Montana speed limits. And uh, yeah, like I said, this is where Mike lived. Mike and I and a few others would hang out after I got off work. We drank so much bad truck stop coffee staying up until 4 a.m., making plans and talking nonsense and not getting in too much trouble. Matt actually began working at a TV station, putting some of what he learned at film school to use. 
I was slinging videotapes and making my way through Bozeman's and Livingston's video store horror movie collections. Mike was working various restaurant jobs. One day, while working at the Livingston Video Library, I met a guy who was making his own low- and no-budget movies. He was working on some things, had a vast video collection of his own, including a lot of exploitation horror movies I'd never had access to before, and we became friends. He'd had some small success making his own movies and selling them in the back pages of Fangoria magazine, and he was getting ready to start a new production, a feature film with a Lovecraftian and Italian horror movie influence, some zombie stuff that I wanted in, and he let me in. I played one of the leads, and also handled the special makeup effects. I learned a lot through trial and error, and the director even wanted to be set on fire himself since he'd seen the video in which I did it to me. That didn't go as well as it did for me, mostly because he didn't follow my instructions and did not wear any protective clothing between his bare skin and his to-be-set-on-fire costume, and did not tell me that until after the fact. He survived, and we tried to finish the movie, and he never held it against me. Unfortunately, that movie fell apart. He had some issues with other actors, and he and I later had a following out as well. Eventually, parts of that feature film got repurposed as a short story that would be part of an anthology movie he called Tales of the Damned. Working on that movie, though, with Mike really pushed me to finally make a movie on my own, and with Mike producing, my writing and directing, and Matt editing at the TV station after hours, we shot a short zombie movie called Cash Only. Now that RewindVideo.com website I mentioned earlier, they ended up running a film festival in South Dakota. Not sure why South Dakota, because the founders were actually in Canada, but whatever. It was in South Dakota, and they ran a bunch of folks' movies, including Cash Only. I'm happy to say that Cash Only not only won an award at that film festival for Best Effects, it won the very first award announced during the award ceremony at that festival. Zombies, man, they were my jam. And not just because I would use things like Strawberry Jam for blood and gore effects. Being more involved in the amateur movie-making community, seeing things from other countries like Italy or Japan, zombie movies sunk their teeth into me. I, I loved them and I wanted to keep making them. Now, the next project for Dead End Pictures was to be an anthology film called Combustibles. Matt was going to spearhead two shorts, and I was going to spearhead the other two shorts, so four short stories. And one of those shorts involved a vampire and a zombie, and I think that zombie was probably the best I'd ever created and committed to video. I was pretty happy with how he turned out. And if I remember right, the spilling brains slash ramen noodle puddle effect at the end of that short looked pretty good. Matt directed that one, and it was great to be working with Mike and Matt on a project. Then life got in the way. Matt got a bigger job at a bigger TV station and moved away from Montana. I kind of washed out again and never finished my shorts that were supposed to be part of Combustibles. Matt never finished his. I was supporting my then-wife in her college career and needed to work full-time and focus so much energy on that, and... Dead End Pictures lived up to its name. It became a dead end. And I'm ashamed to say that I let the filmmaking dream die then. I still loved horror movies, and by this point, I was already in love with classic horror monster movies, too. The Crestwood House monster books planted that seed. The Universal Monsters classic collection on VHS nurtured that. The one time that Mike and I were at a Hastings Entertainment store, and his deciding, seemingly on a whim, but probably influenced by the fact that he was listening to the band that took its name from this title, he decided to buy a VHS of White Zombie. We watched it together, and that pushed me along. The monster movies were always there, but it sounded to me to say that they were in the back seat. Zombie movies were my co-pilot. And I handed them the wheel when I decided to start podcasting. At the time, there were two other zombie movie podcasts, and one of them was focused more on books and other literature than movies. I felt like it was a space that could afford another guy talking about zombie flicks as opposed to the more open horror potosphere. 
And when I say open, I mean it in more ways than one. You see, I reached out to the podcasters I listened to and asked for help, and without fail, it was freely given. I haven't done this in a long time, but now's as good a time as any. I would not have started podcasting if it wasn't for the advice and support of all the podcasters I was listening to at the time, but specifically, Freddie from Night to the Living Podcast, Andy from Destroy the Brain, and F13 from Cinema Diabolica. They knew what I was up to before anyone else and made me feel like I could really pull this podcasting thing off. Mail Order Zombie number one was released in January 2008. It was an incredibly short episode, which was not the intent. I did script everything out from start to finish and thought the number of pages I had would be long enough to fill a decent-sized episode, which is the exact opposite of what's happening with this episode, I'm aware. Now, the size of the Mail Order Zombie episodes did change over the years, and now, sometimes, I fear that my podcast episodes in general run a little long. But back then, I struggled to find length. The format of the show was as follows. Intro music, my own introduction to the show, some zombie news, a couple of zombie movie reviews, complete with a 1 out of 5 headshot rating, maybe some listener feedback or mentions of other podcasts covering zombie movies at the time. We'd eventually add other segments to the show. Other contributors joined MOZ, like Scott Morris from Dizzy, Indiana, who took over the news segment as a need and nicknamed Scott. You ever wonder where the occasional you're fired jokes come from when he's on Monster Kid Radio or just him and I bantering back and forth on Facebook? It was from the mail order zombie days, probably originating over a disagreement over my giving the movie Zombieland a higher headshot rating than Shaun of the Dead, which I'll admit I don't stand by anymore. The higher rating from Zombieland, that is. I still stand by firing need a nickname Scott. Now, Mail Order Zombie grew, and the way people watched movies changed. Netflix and other Mail Order movie companies changed. Streaming changed. Well, I mean, it emerged as the primary way to watch movies. So the Mail Order part of the name of the podcast became increasingly irrelevant. We didn't let that stop the show, though. It grew. It evolved. Other segments were added, and other personalities became regulars, like a character named Wayne, who was ostensibly a zombie, dealing with unlife and promoting his organization, Dead to Rights. Wayne was actually Joe Blevins, who would become an author and podcaster himself. Check out These Days Are Ours, a Happy Days podcast, to see or hear what he's up to. Or go to d2rights.blogspot.com. That's D as in dead, the number two, and then rights as in they have rights.blogspot.com. He still runs that blog, but has long surpassed anything he did with Mail Order Zombie as Wayne. My then-wife joined the show to go over listener feedback with me and brought a bit of focus on post-apocalyptic literature. MOZ grew. And a couple of things happened that led to Mail Order Zombie finally being put to rest. Now, I've struggled for a while with the idea of revisiting some of what happened. First off, that openness I mentioned earlier about the horror podcast community when I first launched Mail Order Zombie, it didn't seem to last, at least not for me. Now, I'm not going to say I'm not completely blameless in that maybe I didn't handle the criticism as well as I should have. But I used to have a tagline, when you think zombie movies, think mail order zombie. And I would leave voicemails for other podcasts and say that at the end of every one of my calls. This upset certain podcasters that were also in the same zombie movie podcast space. And it turned into a thing. And we were all younger and I was so desperate to be friends with everyone in the potosphere that I took it very personally when folks started coming after me older zombie, and me personally, and my then-wife. I let it hurt me. A lot. 
And while I appreciate the support I had from most of the other podcasters and most of the other listeners, to this day, I still block certain folks on Facebook. And I'd be lying if I didn't admit to it having left its mark on me. I may seem like I got past it on the show, but it was always there and it, it really hurt. Also, my grandfather passed away. Now, outside of my stumbling across a broadcast of Elvira's horror host show once when I was visiting my grandparents and maybe catching part of King Kong Escapes on TV during a family visit, I did not associate horror movies with my grandfather, my grandparents in general. I didn't associate horror or monster movies with anyone in my family. And to be honest, I didn't have that in common with any of them. One of the last times I saw my grandfather before he died, he was in a hospital and I didn't immediately recognize him. I'm not exaggerating here. I literally thought we walked into the wrong hospital room. Seeing this man that I loved and respected and saw such a strong family figure being brought low by advancing age, it left a mark on me and it was hard. Somehow watching the destruction of the human body in the zombie and horror movies I was watching all the time seemed petty and even somehow wrong. I internalized that, and it kept me from laughing at the silly zombie antics in Return of the Living Dead, or Shaun of the Dead, or Zombieland. It made the terror in zombie movies like Dawn of the Dead or Day of the Dead pale in comparison to the real-life death I was witnessing. I've healed a lot since then, and I've refound the joy I had in things like Romero's films, but it's a different kind of joy now, and that's okay. So... Between the cyberbullying and my grandfather's mortality, the older zombie just lost its shine for me, and I decided to bring it to a close. Now, through all of this, I'd been listening to so many other podcasts, horror movie and otherwise, and I became a big fan of Vince Rotolo's B-MovieCast. He opened my eyes to a lot of different movies, and I found the community through his podcast that I once had with Mail Order Zombie. I want to be clear, when I talk about how the community with Mail Order Zombie may have changed a little bit, or how I felt that I wasn't 100% supported anymore. That huh, does not really apply to everybody, and I know that now. In retrospect, I see that there was more love than hate, there was more joy than cyberbullying happening at the time. Also, I really, really appreciate all the people that contributed to Mail Order Zombie, not just the people that I've mentioned here, but everybody who ever sent in a voicemail or an email or contributed segments or joined me for reviews or interviews or anything like that, it was awesome. It really, really was. It's just that at the time, I let that cyberbullying incident kind of fester, and then watching my grandfather pass away, it just really, really hurt. So it was hard. But like I said, I found the B-Movie cast, it made me feel like I could continue to podcast in the movie space, but this time, instead of focusing on zombie movies, I would focus on the classic and sometimes not-so-classic genre cinema of yesteryear. Monster Kid Radio was born. But it wasn't easy. There was some drama at the beginning, actually, over the name. Apparently, I'd accidentally chosen a name that someone else wanted to use for an internet program of their own of some sort. I didn't know that, and I was fairly shocked that apparently it really upset not just this person, but a lot of his friends. In fact, a lot of my posts were being deleted or taken down from various message boards within the Monster Kid community because of this. Now, I persevered, and, you know, I never really contacted the guy or, or fed into any of it, and eventually, well, he let it drop, and Monster Kid Radio was still going strong today ten years later.
because of the B-movie cast, I really felt my love for the classic monster movies coming back to the forefront of my fandom. I don't know if it's fair to say that the zombie movies were in this way, as they gave me a lot of joy over the years. They meant so much to me. And Mail or Zombie itself gave me a lot as well. I don't want to dwell much more on what caused that show to fade, but I'm sure this cyberbullying and death of a loved one and just getting burned out by reviewing over 200 zombie movies, books, comics, video games, short stories, and even a zombie opera all had something to do with it. Also, the B-movie cast reminded me that my first actual monster movie loves were the classic Universal monsters. I began interacting with the gang at the B-movie cast during MOZ's run and started branching into the more classic genre fair. I, I managed to justify talking about classic monster movies on Mail Order Zombie by talking about classic zombie movies. White Zombie, I Walked with a Zombie, Plague of the Zombies, zombie movies pre-Romero. I loved them and became fascinated by their history and their place in monster movie dumb. I got to talk about legends like Bela Lugosi and Val Luton on the same podcast on which I talked about movies with titles like Eclipse of the Dead, Zombie Brigade, Catholic Ghoul Girls, and Super Hell. I never did get around to talking about Super Hell sequels, but that's okay. I got exactly what I needed out of Mail Order Zombie and zombie movies in general. And I still am. I still enjoy the good zombie movies. I watched the original Dawn of the Dead in the theater last year, and it was amazing. Night of the Living Dead is a masterpiece and a master class. And while I'll never admit it to Scott's face, when I do think about them, I think more about Shaun of the Dead than Zombieland. The rest of this month on Monster Kid Radio, I want to talk about classic zombie movies. I'm not sure what the word classic means in this case, but it probably doesn't include things like Super Hell 3, Dreams of Horror. Despite the little blip that happened when I first launched Monster Kid Radio, I found the classic horror podcasting community to be fairly non-toxic and welcoming. I blame, or thank, Vince Rotolo from the B-Movie cast for that. His approach to podcasting was down-home, Let's hang out and watch a movie, sometimes with a TV dinner and a beer. He passed away a few years ago, and I miss him. Whether he knew it or not, he was not just a friend and a fellow podcaster, but he was a mentor to me and so many of us, and his influence can still be felt today. I love this community, and I thank you for letting me spend some time processing my zombie movie past. I've considered writing a lot of this down for a blog, or if I can be pretentious, <laughs> a memoir, <laughs> and who knows? Maybe at some point you will see a book with some of this same material covered in it. Let me know if that's something that would interest you. Now, if you'll excuse me, I need to take my wife to work and then meet up with Matt about a film shoot happening this weekend. I'm very excited about what he has planned, even if there aren't any zombies in it. In January of 1974, the American Broadcasting Company brought forth on this continent a new sitcom. Conceived by Gary Marshall and dedicated to the proposition that the 1950s were awesome. That sitcom was, of course, Happy Days. It ran for 10 years and 255 episodes, casting a long shadow across American popular culture. Week after week, millions thrilled to the adventures of Richie, Fonzie, Joni, Potsy, Ralph Mouth, and the whole gang from Milwaukee. Hello, friends. I'm Joe, and I'm half of the broadcasting team behind These Days Are Ours, a podcast dedicated to all things Happy Days. Together with my co-host Emily, we'll be exploring the series episode by episode, breaking down the themes and telling you what it all means. You can join us on this journey by visiting thesedaysareours.libson.com. 
Just like the original Happy Days, we'll have new episodes every Tuesday. Be there or be square. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Thank you for listening. Thanks for hanging out with me here. As I kind of waxed nostalgic, at least for me, about my zombie movie background and mail order zombie and zombie movies and all of that, you know, I kind of dipped into other topics as well along the way. And I just, I appreciate you being here and kind of sticking it out with me. And I genuinely am interested. Is this something you want to hear more of? Is this something you were interested in or did you check out? I guess if you checked out, you're not hearing this right now. But if you did find it interesting or have any thoughts, I'd love to hear from you. Please email me at monsterkidradio at gmail.com or call and leave me a voicemail at 360-524-2484. This is all on our website over at monsterkidradio.net as well. You can find links to everything we talked about here on the show over there. So please check that out. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Discord, Reddit, or Patreon. Lots of stuff going on in the world of Mail Order Zombie now. I'm trying to get things ramped back up to where things were before I took a break and actually do even more, like bring life back to the Twitch stream. Did you know that right now, as of this recording, even while I'm recording right now, the Twitch stream is running? I haven't done a lot of appearances live on there, but I'm trying to make a point of showing movies there and just having people come over to twitch.tv slash monsterkidradio and checking things out. Right now, I'm running a marathon loop of Roger Corman films, or as somebody said in the chat, and I love this, Cormanville. We're hanging out in Cormanville over at twitch.tv slash monsterkidradio. I'm going to leave that running for the next day or two as well, so head over there if you want to watch some Roger Corman movies for free. Like and subscribe to the feed as well, and you'll be supporting Monster Kid Radio, and you'll be updated every time we go live again. If you are a patron of Monster Kid Radio, you know we had to push things back a little bit for the first ever Monster Movie Trivia Showdown Quiz Show Twitch thing. We really need to come up with a better title. That has got pushed back to next Sunday. You need to be a patron over at patreon.com slash monsterkidradio at the $5 or higher tier, and then you can play along live, and there will be prizes. You need to RSVP to me through Patreon. So again, go to patreon.com slash monsterkidradio. Drop me a line. Let me know that you want to play. And if we can get at least four or five players, it's going to go live. Now, everybody can watch, but to play, you've got to be a patron. And there will be prizes. The Monster Kid Radio Vault is bursting at the seams. I can barely close the door on that thing. So, yeah, you're going to get some prizes from the Monster Kid Radio Vault, depending on how you do in the first ever Patreon Monster Movie Trivia Showdown quiz thing. Really do need to come up with a better title. Anyway, that's what's coming up in other parts of the internet. What's coming up on the podcast next week? Don't know, but it's zombie-related. I've got a few feelers out to various people. I really want to talk about zombies here on the show throughout the entire month of June. I'm just in a zombie move. Some of it's feeling kind of reflective. Some of it's looking back at some of these unfinished things that I've done. These unclosed loops, open loops didn't finish film school, didn't really go anywhere on my filmmaking career. You know, zombies are such a big part of that. And that's really kind of fed into all of that. So yeah, I want to spend some time looking, especially at some of my favorite classic zombie movies. I'd love to talk about Night of the Living Dead on the show again. I haven't done that in a very long time, but I don't want to just sit here and rant about it. I want somebody to be on the show with me. So, hey, if you want to talk zombies with me, drop me a line as well, huh? Huh? Again, thank you for listening. I appreciate everybody's support. Another way you can support the show is if you just retweet tweets, share posts on Facebook, and if you are doing any shopping at Amazon, follow the Amazon affiliate links over at monsterkidradio.net. Doesn't cost you anything extra. It just helps us a little bit more. 
with Amazon, we earn a very, 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 very small percentage of every sale that happens courtesy of that Amazon affiliate link. So please consider helping us out if you're doing any shopping over there. Until next week, remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC, all original content. Of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 Unported License. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Damascus Steel. That is copyright 2023, The Scimitars. You can pick it up over at hightiderecordings.com slash products slash The Scimitars or look them up over on Bandcamp, hightiderecordings.bandcamp.com. You'll find it there. High Tide Recordings is spelled H I. T-I-D-E, and then recordings. So just go look him up and let him know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. My name's Derek M. Cook. I'll talk to everybody next week. Ciao.